You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. A church, what a fragrant offering to the Lord. Bless you. You may be seated. Uh, thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, if you're uh, new uh, here, or maybe you, you came back, you were here last week and you came back, thank you. <laughs> hey, we're delighted. You, you, maybe we didn't uh, uh, scare you off too much. Yes, we are quirky, but hey, that's the way it is. Some people are quirky, uh, and we, we love to worship Jesus because he's done something in our life. Uh, and, and Matthew, when you said this morning uh, that uh, they didn't have celebrity preachers, I'm so thankful that our faith does not ride on the coattails of celebrity preachers. Because there was only one, and his name was Jesus. And he didn't consider his status as God as something to be used for his own advantage. But he gave it up and came as a servant and suffered and was crucified on a Roman cross as a servant to all of us. He bore our sin and our shame. But he didn't stay on the cross because three days later he rose from the dead conquering sin and shame and he sits at the right hand of God the Father and we wait for him to come back to make us whole, to make us new. That's the story. That's the one the preacher came to preach. It's the only story we have and it changes everything and I'm thankful for that. It's why people in mountain villages can worship their hearts out and why us in this room can sing to the Lord and you feel this sense of his presence because he loves us and longs to be with his people. Oh, what a joy uh, to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Um, yeah, okay, uh, that could have been the sermon. <laughs> All right, are we ready for a soup lunch yet? It's not quite uh, time uh, to eat, so I'm going to continue on, uh, if that's okay, Tim. Uh, bless you. <laughs> uh, hey, we've been working through uh, Jesus' uh, parables. Actually, before I do, before I get there, let me just say, I want to I thank uh, everyone who was here yesterday uh, cleaning up the yard. Uh, we had about 15 or so people here cleaning up the yard, uh, raking leaves and, and hauling garbage and all of those different things. You never know what you're going to find in our parking lot. Uh, and if you want to, to know, you can ask some of those who are here uh, on the weekend. And so thank you for doing that. Um, uh, you're a blessing to us. We've been working through Jesus' parables in the Gospel of Luke. And so we took a, a little break there for the Easter season, but we jump back in. And in the parables, what Jesus does is he gives us a picture of his kingdom. He gives us a picture of, of what the world looks like when the world lives under the rule and reign of God. And so I want to turn uh, with you to the next parable in Luke. It's in Luke chapter 14. So I invite you to turn there with me. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's, it's kind of closer to the back than it is the front. You can flip through. Uh, it's in Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 14. And I'm going to read verse 1. Then I'm going to jump to verses 15 and finish the section there. So Luke 14, starting in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. 
and then jump to 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, and here is his parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And the owner of the house, he became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a share or a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus, Jesus, we pray. This final line in the parable, it feels jarring to us, Lord. Help us see, help us understand. Jesus, we know you love people. And so I pray this morning in, this, in the midst of your love, we pray that you would bring your truth, your word, and that you would reorient us to your kingdom. Jesus, in effect, I am praying that your salvation would be made known this morning. Your salvation, not simply for our future, but in our present. So help us see, Jesus, what you want us to see. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So Jesus tells this story, this parable. And, and he tells it while he's attending uh, the banquet of, uh, at, in the home of a prominent Pharisee. That's what we learn in verse 1. And now Pharisees were, were the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and they more or less functioned a bit like a pastor does today. Their focus, their, their role was to help people uh, understand who God is and, uh, and, and how they might follow that, uh, follow the Lord in their life, how they would follow God. And the Pharisees uh, in Jesus' day, they were, they were powerful and influential people. We're told that Jesus was in the house of not simply a Pharisee, but a, a prominent Pharisee. And so when we come to this story, we should read it thinking, you know, Jesus is in the house of someone who is well-connected and powerful and wealthy and had powerful and wealthy friends. And we're told that at some point in the evening, someone gets up from the table and they make a toast. Right? This is not an unusual thing to happen at a banquet, right? Someone stands up and makes a toast. It's like maybe you've been to a wedding, right? You've seen this play out, a wedding toast. Now, 
I've been to a lot of weddings in my time, okay? Whether just as an, an attender, I was at my own uh, wedding, uh, um, so that was one. Uh, I've attended weddings. Uh, I've, I've, I've officiated weddings. But, the, you know, the one thing that I'm often invited to do is MC the wedding reception, right? Uh, and it's probably because I talk a lot uh, and uh, I, I don't mind the attention. Um, uh, and so... And so usually when I emcee a, a wedding reception, the, the banquet, I, I, I give the couple a word of free advice. And I'm going to give it to you today. You don't need to pay for this one. It's free. At a wedding reception, you can either have an open mic or an open bar, but never both. <laughs> right? Think about it. That's gold. You tuck that away. But at a wedding banquet, there, there's these toasts, right, that, that are made. And, 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 and for me, these toasts are actually what make the banquet, the celebration, meaningful, right? Who doesn't love seeing the father of the bride shed a tear? That, that moment when, when the father toasts uh, his, his daughter or, or welcomes a, a son-in-law in, into, the, into the family, there's something meaningful. And likewise, for, for the mother to, 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 to welcome a new people into her family and for, and, and for friends to, to honor their friends, whether it's the maid of honor or, 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 or the best man, to, to honor their friendships. These are the best moments. And you know when someone has nailed the toast, when there is this collective sigh of agreement in the room, right? And everyone raises their glass. You know you failed when there's a collective groan uh, as well. So if you're ever making one of these, you're, you're going for the, for, for the collective sigh of agreement. And everyone raises their glass in response. And this is what I picture happening at the banquet that Jesus is attending that day. Someone has raised a glass, they make a toast, and that toast resonates with the hearts of every person in the room. And the toast went like this. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. That's the toast. And now it's hard for us to hear what, what sentiment is being said with our 21st century ears. But the people who were in the room that day, they knew exactly what the toast meant. Because for them, the feast of God's kingdom that they're toasting to, it referred to something specific in their minds. It referred to this future time that they believed in where God would act to bring his salvation into the world. It wasn't so much about a meal or a feast. It was, it was about a time when God would act to make right all that was wrong in the brokenness of their world. And celebration would mark that day. It would be, be a great day of feasting when Jesus or when God makes all things right again. The prophet Isaiah speaks about this great feast of the kingdom in Isaiah. This was the prophets who would have come long before this, this actual dinner banquet that Jesus is at. And they promised, he, the, the prophet Isaiah speaks about this future day, the feast of the kingdom. This is what Isaiah 25 says. The prophet points to this future day and says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods or food for all peoples. 
a banquet, uh, um, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, and he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will, sh- they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is what the toast was all about at the banquet. The room was full of distinguished people. Then someone stands up and says, Blessed is the one who will eat at that feast, the feast of the kingdom of God. On the day that God finally intervenes and makes right all that is wrong. And I imagine a collective sigh of agreement as the toast is made. People raise their glass in response and they say, To the day of God's salvation. I wonder, have you ever thought about what salvation looks like? What will your life or our world or our relationships look like when God sorts out the brokenness that we face in this world? What will it look like when God deals with, with, with the sin of the world, whether it's sin that's been done to us or sin we've done to others? What will the world look like when, when God finally deals with evil once and for all, when death, the curse of death, has been overturned? What does the day of God's salvation look like? And so a guy at a dinner party, he makes a toast. And then Jesus stands up and he tells them all this story. Verse 16, Jesus says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. It's the first line of Jesus' parable. He starts telling this story at this moment. And the scene, obviously, would have been easy for the people there to follow, right? Because they're at a banquet. It's like Jesus is almost describing what is happening in the room. They would have pictured their esteemed host or, or maybe some esteemed host sending out all these invitations to, to friends and associates. And in Jesus' day, we need to understand, his day wasn't much different than ours is in the sense that if someone invited you to a dinner party, you were expected to give your yes or your no in terms of your attendance. It was an expectation. In fact, your RSVP was all the more important in this first century context because in some of the smaller villages, there was a great deal of work that went into preparing for a banquet. Because you might not know this, there was no Costco in the first century. There was no one-stop shop. And and for a a first-century kind of banquet, there was a lot of work that went into preparing the meal, particularly when it came to preparing the meat. Scholar Kenneth Bailey explains the custom of a first-century banquet like this. 
He says, if two or four guests were expected at the banquet, you would prepare a chicken, <laughs> a chicken or two, and it would take some time, right? You can imagine. If there were up to eight guests, it might be a duck that was prepared. If there were 15 guests, a young goat would be served. A sheep was prepared for a group of up to 35. And for the big feast, the, the big parties with 75 people or more, you're eating beef that night. <laughs> right? A calf would be butchered and served. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The calf was prepared. It was a great feast. I, I was at Costco uh, just before Easter, and we bought one of those big slabs of, uh, of meat. Right? Have you seen those ones? And you're like, who buys those things? Well, we bought one. Uh, and uh, I cut it up into steaks. And then my son and I, we weighed each steak to figure out how much money we saved. Uh, and so I'm happy to report we saved $66.85. Uh, and so there's stewardship for you. But that's not the point of the story. The point is, <laughs> it takes time to prepare. And you need to know how many people you're preparing for. The point is, the kind of meat prepared in a first century context, it depended on the number of guests who said that they would come and it would take time to prepare the meat. So when Jesus tells the story and he explains that the host has gone away and made all the preparations, it's assumed here that these invited guests had already given their RSVP. They would have said yes to the invitation to come to the banquet. And this is an important detail for us. And I'm not sure if you see where I'm going with this, but sometimes we, we turn to this parable and, and we think it's, it's about people who have not yet put their faith in Jesus. These people had already given their yes to join the banquet. And it's going to be important a little later. So let's hold on to that. But Jesus, he goes on with his story and he says, verse 17, at the time of the banquet... The host sent his servant to all those who had been invited to tell them to come because now everything is ready. Now, again, we might miss the detail, but, but I'm certain that the people in the room were connecting the dots with what Jesus was saying because they had just toasted to the future feast of God's kingdom. But now Jesus tells a story where the host comes to them and says, the feast is ready. It was like saying, the time is here. The time has come. The feast of the kingdom is upon us. And I wonder, when you hear those words, does it sound familiar? Does it sound like something Jesus has already said? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. You see, this is precisely the message that Jesus came announcing at the beginning of his ministry. Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says it most clearly. Jesus uh, describes the good news. He, he, he speaks the gospel in this passage, and he says it this way. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Jesus at this dinner party, through this parable, was saying that the time of waiting was over. That the great banquet of salvation was already underway through his ministry. 
And this is an outrageous claim that Jesus would have been making in the middle of a dinner party. He essentially points to himself and says, look, everyone, I am the host of the salvation banquet. And, and the time for God's kingdom to take hold of your life, to take hold of our world, isn't in the future. It's right now. <laughs> you see, for, for us Christian people, we, we often miss the bigger vision of salvation that the scriptures teach us about. We think that salvation is simply going to be with God in heaven when we die, that, that it's something that happens in, in a life to come beyond this one. But we need to understand that that's not the whole story of what the Bible speaks about salvation. It means at least that. Let's not miss this. It means at least that, but so much more. Salvation was something people in the Bible fully expected to experience in this world. It was a time when God would bring the shalom or, or the peace or the flourishing of heaven to bear upon the earth. Justice. Forgiveness. Righteousness. Health. Connectedness. Peace reconciliation with God and, and reconciliation with all the nations of the earth. These were the markers of God's kingdom come upon the earth. They were a picture of, of what salvation would begin to look like. The world was simply waiting for God's anointed person to come and lead them into it. And then at a dinner party, Jesus stands and he tells a story about a banquet host and he points to himself and effectively says, the time is now. The time has come. God's day of salvation is here. Oh, I would have loved to have been at that dinner party. <laughs> a room full of prominent people, powerful people, Salvation is in your midst. And we know in the story that they didn't quite get it. These were, were people who, in effect, had given their yes to God, not, not to Jesus uh, because they didn't know that he was God's son, but people who, who earnestly wanted God's kingdom to come in their life. But they didn't get it. Jesus stands up and says, the time has come, God's day of salvation is here. And this is why Luke, who, who writes this story, who retells this story for us, Luke later in the book of Acts, he writes these words. He says that salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus Jesus is the host of the salvation banquet. There is no other. There is no other because there is no one who has been given God's authority to overturn the things that are wrong in us and in our world. There's no one with the power and authority to reconcile sinful people to a holy God. There's no one with the power and authority to, to, to lead us into lasting reconciliation with one another. Because we're broken. 
And whether we recognize it or not, we all need God's salvation. We need it in our present, and we need it in our future. And we're lost. We're lost in brokenness without his salvation. We're dead in our sins without it. But God doesn't leave us in broken places, languishing in our sin. This is the whole story of Easter. He sends Jesus to deal with sin and brokenness and to make way for the feast that goes on into eternity. The preparations were made. (laughs) The table was set through Christ's crucifixion on the cross. And because the preparations were made, now we are invited into the fullness of salvation, which we experience in part now, but in fullness when Christ returns to make all things new. Jesus is the host of the salvation banquet. And and I want you to know this morning that, that, that this host, Jesus, he knows precisely what you need. Because the reality is we live in brokenness. We, we, we languish under things that, that aren't quite salvation-like, right? They don't feel like flourishing. But the host knows precisely what you need today. He knows where you need forgiveness. He knows where you're wrapped up in, in shame and need release. He knows where you need encouragement, where you're in despair. He knows where you need love. He even knows where we need rebuke. He knows where you need his Holy Spirit empowerment. Salvation is found in no one else. And so let's turn our whole selves over to to the host of the banquet. We shouldn't delay because he has a taste of his salvation today and the fullness of it tomorrow in the future. And so Jesus, he he goes on to tell the story of, of his banquet. And as he does, in the story that follows, one thing becomes really clear and what becomes clear, and, and this, is a, this is one of those parables that, that maybe um, it's not kind of like the, the touchy, like feeling you feel really good about things at the end of it. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you felt when, when, when I read it, but if you did, you probably missed the point. <laughs> this is a hard parable. This is one that we'd maybe rather uh, jump over. Um, but this is what becomes clear. The salvation banquet can be missed. It's possible to be invited into salvation, but but never to arrive at the feast. This seems to me to be the big idea of Jesus' parable here. That the host invites people to the banquet. Their RSVP says yes. Preparations are made. Word is given that the feast is ready. The day of God's salvation has arrived. But people miss it. Verse 18 to 20. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. 
Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And what we cannot miss about the parable is this, that when we dismiss Jesus, whenever we dismiss Jesus, we miss out on the banquet. Listen to to how the guests dismiss the host's invitation. The first person says, look, I've just bought a field, and I need to go and and see it. (laughs) Sounds pretty lame, right? Like, would you ever buy a field with not seeing it first? Probably not. It would be unheard of in the first century. Land was so important, especially to to, uh, the Jews in the first century. It was was part of their identity marker. They would know every nook and cranny of, uh, of a piece of land that they purchased long before they purchased it. This was a very lame dismissal. It was like going to the host and saying, you know what, I'm not coming to the banquet because my possessions are more important than our relationship. When church, we treat Jesus' invitation to life with him that way sometimes. I know we do. I've done it. That we prioritize our, our possessions over our relationship with Christ. Right? We, we put more weight and more effort into accumulating things and, and playing with our toys rather than cultivating our life in Christ. I mean, boating season's just around the corner. <laughs> We do this. And even in these little things, as as we dismiss the host, we can miss out on salvation. The second guest dismisses the host saying that they've just bought five yoke of oxen and that they need to go and try them out. Uh, So that's why they can't come. And they ask for, uh, you know, kind of, I'm not coming to the party card. Again, it's a lame dismissal. It would be like buying a fleet of cars for your business without taking a test drive. And that's to say, that just would never happen. You wouldn't do it. Oxen were used for work in Jesus' day. And so this guest essentially is saying to his host, look, I'm not coming because my work is more important than our relationship. And that's sometimes how we dismiss Jesus. I wonder if you do this. We work at our work, but we don't work at our relationship with Christ. He invites us to know him, yet yet we we don't work at it. We we dismiss him because we're busy. We we have other things, but, but when we dismiss the hosts, we can miss out on salvation. The third guest dismisses the host saying that they can't come because they just got married. Now, some of you young adults can identify with this one here, right? Your friend gets married, and then you never see them again. (laughs) It's lame, right? (laughs) And it's like saying to the host, look, my family life is more important than our relationship. Let's be honest, this is a big one in our context. 
The busyness of, of raising a family is a force to be reckoned with in our world. There's sports and activities and playdates. There's laundry to fold and, and, and there's dinners to make and houses to clean. There is no end to all the things that we need to do in our family life. And we don't need to be, be married with children to feel this pull. Look, life is full and sometimes, sometimes those things they take priority over life with Jesus. Sometimes we dismiss Jesus because we have all these other family priorities that take precedence. And church, I just want to say, this is particularly the case in our post-pandemic reality. Right? What was once a priority, and I'm thinking namely just being part of the community of faith, being part of a regular rhythm of worship, it, 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 in, our, in our reality these days, it's been replaced with something else, with other things. And I think that's why I got so choked up this morning when I was worshiping. <laughs> because I heard the community of faith, the body of Christ, leaning into worship of the one who is worthy. And it's like, yes, that's it. That's what God has made us for. It's not the only thing he's made us for, but he's made us to be a worshiping community that gathers together regularly to lift up his name because he is worthy. And then, at the end of our time together, we go as a family on mission out of those doors to worship Him in new ways. <laughs> and so you got me going this morning. Maybe I need to scratch this point off of my list, but the point is this. Sometimes we prioritize things that, that have the life of Jesus in them. He's inviting us to know a new salvation. And I'm not talking about a future salvation, but in the present, to know him, his power, his healing, his grace, his presence. But if we dismiss the host, we miss salvation. See, we can go on accumulating possessions and we can busy ourselves with work and with family and all the while miss the one thing that is most important to it all, which is the saving, healing, empowering presence of Christ in our lives. It's what makes sense of all the rest. See, there's nothing wrong with possessions or, or work or family. Of course not. These are the blessings of God, but without Jesus in it, <laughs> means nothing. There's no salvation. You see, church, even those of us who have said yes to following Christ, we often dismiss him. We dismiss his leadership in our lives. And when we do, we miss out on the fullness of what salvation means in the Bible. So, for instance, we can dismiss Jesus' call to forgive others. Right? We can dismiss Jesus and say, I'm not going to follow you in this area. I'm not going to forgive the person who's hurt me. But then we wonder why our relationships are broken, why they're a mess. And the reality is, until we, we, we stop dismissing Jesus' call, we're probably not going to experience a taste of salvation. 
We won't experience wholeness in our relationships if we're not willing to, willing to follow the word of Jesus calling us to forgive others. If we dismiss, we miss. Right? Or what about if we dismiss other things? If we dismiss Jesus' call to honor God with our body, when we do that, we, we can become even more broken, more confused, more, more alone. Or if we dismiss God's words of love and uh, uh, acceptance that he speaks over us. If Jesus is saying, you are my beloved in whom I, I'm well pleased, I love you. If we dismiss those words, well, then our self-esteem can languish. And we might be held captive, hostage to the opinions that approve of us. And there's no salvation in that. If we dismiss the host of the banquet, we can miss salvation. Even if we dismiss Jesus' call to use our power and our privilege to protect the powerless, when we dismiss this invitation of Christ, we rob the world of a greater measure of God's kingdom come upon the earth. Others don't get a taste of what life is like. The point is, when we dismiss the host, we can miss the banquet. And so the question becomes, where are you dismissing Jesus these days? Jesus has come to save your whole life, not just a part of it. The Lord and leader of my search history. You're the Lord and leader of my family, but you're, you're not the Lord and leader of how I act on the soccer pitch. That's what I have to deal with. <laughs> right? We, we kind of dismiss Jesus in, in these places, but when we dismiss the host, we, we miss salvation. We, we miss what he wants to do in us. And, and in the parable, we learn what happens to those who dismiss Jesus' invitation to the banquet of salvation. What happens? They're absent from the feast. Right? Jesus says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And now it sounds petty at first, right? Right? It's like the host has been rejected in the story, and so, so he shuts out all the rejectors. That's what it sounds like is happening here. But that's not what's happening here. <laughs> don't miss this. The invited guests don't get a taste of the banquet because they refuse to go to the party. We can't miss this. They're shut out from the feast because they will not accept the host's invitation. The host cannot force the guests to come to the party, and the host refuses to manipulate people to come to the feast. And so when the guests refuse, the, the kind host simply obliges. And that's why they don't get a taste of the banquet. We need to mark this, church. When we dismiss Jesus, we can miss the banquet by virtue of our choice, not by virtue of our character. And I want to be clear here, because I, I, I'm, I'm dancing in two worlds. There is, there is a, a future salvation that we know we only receive by grace through faith in Christ. And in this context, I, I don't, I'm not talking about that being in jeopardy. 
Because once we've given our yes to Jesus, that's not in jeopardy. Jesus is the Lord of life and brings us in. But there is this space, like I said last week, where we're living between these two trees. And in this space, Jesus has salvation for us today. But maybe you you are here, and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. And I want to implore you. There is a future salvation that you don't want to miss. When we dismiss Jesus, we can miss the banquet by virtue of our choice, not by virtue of our character. Don't miss this. Sometimes we have this picture of God who who condemns sinner to this unfortunate fate because of their character, right? Because of their sin. But don't miss this. Here we see that those who are shut out from the banquet are not shut out so much because of their character, but because of their choice. Said another way, those who miss the salvation feast, after all, The feast of God's salvation is a table full of sinners. Am I right? (laughs) The feast of God's salvation is a table full of sinners. So those who miss the feast of God's salvation, it's not because they're sinful. Because we all are. People like you and me sit around that table. You see, the salvation feast isn't reserved for saints. It's reserved for sinners. But sinners who are willing to bring their sinful lives to the host who welcomes them at his table. There is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. Jesus is the host. I hope you hear the good news about the feast. It's not not our character that gives us access to God's table. It's not our goodness that gives us a seat at his table. We are welcomed to his table because the host has welcomed us. That's it. That's the gospel. And in the story, we see that the host invites everyone to the banquet. Everyone's invited. Jesus is the great includer, right? It's not just the host's friends, but everyone who's invited. The people who feel like they don't belong, the poor, the blind, the marginalized. The invitation is taken to the highways and the byways because God invites everyone to his table of salvation. And so, friends, where do you need the salvation that only Jesus brings? Where have you been dismissing his invitation into the salvation life? The table is set. The preparations have been made for your salvation through Christ's death on the cross. The question is, will you respond? Will you trust your life to Christ anew and follow him? Let's pray. Jesus, your word is truth and life. And so, Lord, we pray that as we sit under your word, you would bring your truth and your life to bear in us. 
Where we need your correction, your rebuke, we pray that you would speak through your Holy Spirit. Where we need your encouragement and your love, we pray that you would embrace us through your Holy Spirit. And where we need your courage, we pray you would empower us with your Holy Spirit. Because we are your church. We take our place at your table. And we pray that your kingdom would come in us, just as it is in heaven. Amen.